0: Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast. Each week we discuss a topic to help ourselves, other lawyers, and law students navigate their days with a little less stress a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we continue our new season back to school with our guests Bronwyn Tonelli and Ali Haji. We give some practical tips to law students. I'm Mike Anderson.
1: And I'm Darlene Tonelli.
0: Hi, Darlene.
1: Hi, Mike. We're talking to you, I think you're in cottage country, north of the city, yes?
0: That's correct. Yeah, I'm up near Lake Huron, uh, just finishing up my vacation and actually uh, benefiting from the wireless uh, network of a hotel chain that we all might know. So mixing it up, something a little bit different here today. (laughs) Yeah,
1: You're kind of like pirate radio podcast version.
0: Yeah, all that matters is that we make that great content.
1: That's really all that matters. And you've really, you've like done a speed drive to this Wi-Fi spot. Like this has been quite an exciting morning, more, more exciting than our usual podcast morning.
0: Yeah. So I think really exciting the show today, got a bit of a round table with some great guests and here are their bios. So Bronwyn Tonelli is a law student who just completed her first year at Oxford University Law School. Wow. And she's also Darlene's beloved niece. Uh, Bronwyn went to law school straight out of high school, whoa, uh, as a standard in the UK and some other common law jurisdictions outside North America. And Ali Haji has just completed his clerkship at the Supreme Court of Canada. And proud of that, he was top of his class at McGill Law School, where he also completed his MBA. Uh, he has an undergraduate deg- degree in pharmacy, um, so you can get drugs from him. Uh, maybe not. Anyway, he's currently working with InterAlia, R. firm for the summer, before he heads off to Cambridge to complete that LLM. So welcome, everybody. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: Welcome.
0: So super excited to have you guys. This is our third installment of the back to school season where we're trying to help law students uh, not only get through law school, but to become fulfilled and to really make the most of the experience. So we're super glad to have you today. Um, Maybe we can start with Bronwyn, you know, when you're just in first year, what were you like going in? What were your expectations?
2: So going into law school, I knew that I liked English and I knew that I liked reading. I also knew that I liked the analytical bits of sciences. So I didn't really pick law with any kind of career in mind or any kind of expectation in mind. Other than that, it seemed like the kind of degree which would kick off my interest. And frankly, I was right. It was lots of reading, as you'll discover very quickly. But you still get to do a lot of problem solving, which I really found really cool.
1: It's been really interesting for me to see someone in my own family going through this sort of uh, 20 years later and seeing some of the similarities and some of the differences so we'll talk about that more as we go on but um that's that's helpful
0: and ali because you did so well in first year you kind of the anti got upped uh can you tell us about that
3: um i was somehow ranked super high so they asked me to do a joint mba so i actually did two law degrees so the civil and common law and the mba at the same time in pharmacy school before that you know, I always wanted to do law. back to, like, reading John Grisham books when I was, like, in high school, and it never really occurred to me to do it. Um, my parents are both in the medical, both in medical professions, like, um, so pharmacy seemed like a good, uh, leaping off point to get into med school, which is very difficult, um, and I, did, I never liked kind of memorizing facts or, you know, just, just not being able to think critically, which I think is a lot of what the health professions are. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of just pursued what I really wanted to do and that, had, and that ended up being possible.
1: Bronwyn, you had an interesting experience because at Oxford, they actually give you a reading list. Do you want to talk about what that was like to get that reading list and maybe prep others who have to read their first case?
2: So, I got my reading list in my first week that I was there, and it was gigantic and it was very overwhelming. And I didn't know things like you can't just Google a case and have it come up on the internet, because up until that point, that's kind of how I'd learned about things, and I didn't know anything about them to start with. So, thankfully, some of the second years anticipated this problem, and they had a little workshop with us where they said, okay, like, this is how you use Westlaw, this is where you find articles how you use the library. Different things are found in different places. And half the battle is actually not reading the stuff, but knowing where you can find it. So if you're struggling with that in your first week, I would honestly recommend talking to someone in the year above you, because I guarantee they've experienced the same thing. Did the upbringers tell you, did they do this on their own
1: volition, by the way, or was this an organized thing through the school?
2: No, they... They just said, oh, we remember this here. We'll show you. The library does organize a session. It's not like they leave you completely in the dark, but it was nice to have a smaller session with just kind of four or five people where you didn't feel like you couldn't ask certain questions and it was just really nice. So I'm glad that they did that.
1: Wow. Well, and when you first read that case, I mean, what do you, what do you, what would you like to tell law students who just pick up a case now and try to read it? Are there any, any things that would, help, would have helped you if you had known that?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple things. A lot of them are really quite basic. So if you already know it, that's good for you. But I did not when I started. For example, the facts of the case and the point of law are completely separate. You can read a case and it's, you know, think of it like a story about well, what actually happened in the case. But going forward, that facts tend to be, on average, less important than the point of law. And if you're struggling to distinguish these at the beginning, I would strongly recommend reading the head note carefully, which is the little bit at the top, which gives you a summary of the case, but then also talks about the point of law. The next thing I would say is use your textbook. If you're struggling to understand what a case means, either the facts or the point of law, often a textbook will have an index of cases with page numbers next to it. What I would do is go through my reading list and use this index and write down the page numbers next to every case. So, if when I got to the case, I didn't understand the broader significance or just wanted some more information or a summary, I'd go to that page in the textbook and it would give me a kind of summary and I could understand it easier. My third tip would be don't be afraid to use online summaries, but if you do, use more than one because often they can be a little bit too simplistic or say slightly different things. So don't be afraid to do that, especially at the beginning. So just understand the facts of the case. But if you do that, I would say don't have that be the only resource you use. And finally, while a lot of people will tell you, you know, you don't have to read the whole case. This is true, but every once in a while, it's really nice to to read the whole case, look at it carefully. It gives you a real appreciation for how the common law is developed. And if you're interested in that particular area of law, it can be Actually, really, really fun. Well, two points. Michael
1: have his own comments on that, but the textbook. did you find the textbook at the beginning of the year
2: or uh, later in the year? So I had the textbooks from the beginning of the year, so I didn't realize about these indexes until the end of the year.
1: It's so funny. the sec one, I'll talk about textbooks in a sec, but the funny thing about when you say, Use more than one online summary. When I went to law school, which you will both laugh at, um, there wasn't there weren't summaries online like that wasn't really a thing at, at all. And it was really all about finding the person who, in the upper year, had a summary. Or some people in Canada call them cans, and maybe there are other terms that people use in, in different countries. But the idea is um, it's sort of a course outline that is prepared by students and usually from upper years to show you what you need to know for the exam. And when I went through, there was a real, you know, focus on who's going to get the best summaries. And there was like the guy who had the best summary and you had to go to that person and like try to find a way for them to give you the summary. It was really quite uh, a different scenario. Was that how it was for you, Mike, or had things improved by your, uh... Uh,
0: you know, I'm starting to think I just didn't do law school right or something. I mean, I read everything. Like, I read everything. Uh, and I made my own summaries. Wow. I didn't really rely on other's people, other people's work at all. Like, the internet was a thing, but I never looked up a summary online. Like, it was just me insular to Mike and my work. And I think there's a bit of a flaw to that looking back. Like, certainly overworking uh, is one of those flaws, but I wasn't working smart. And I think I could have benefited from other people's perspectives. I mean, I remember my first property law class, um, I was called upon to summarize the case and I did that in my own way and I think it went fine. Um, But if I did look to other resources, if I did look online, if I spoke to more people about what was going on, I think I could have benefited from their perspectives. Um, So that's, you know... I think there's a lot to learn from my just trying to figure it all out and maybe overworking, but um, speaking of which, so we could learn a lot from Ali because he's been behind the curtain, so to speak on judgments, uh, having just left the Supreme court as a clerk. So Ali, could you, what would you recommend to first years on how to understand the point of a judgment, how to study, uh, you know, that sort of thing.
3: So without revealing anything about how judgments are written um, or how yeah, what the judgment process is, because I'm not supposed to say anything about that. It's strictly confidential. Um, I would say don't read cases at all, ever. Like Just don't. Don't do it. It's, a, it's such a waste of... I can't believe you read cases through law school. You know what the, you know what the funny thing is? I was number one in McGill Law and number one in McGill MBA. I never read a single case throughout all of law school.
1: Wow. When you say you never read a case, you mean you never read them all the way through or you never read any No, anything? I never
3: read cases period. Like I, I actually, I actually like from first year, first year contracts was my first law school exam. And I spent a lot of time studying for first year contracts at the expense of every other class, because everyone said that first year contracts is the hardest class possible. So I spent a lot of time studying for first year contracts. And then Forgot to study for first year torts and first year obligations and first year like you know I forgot to study for these classes so at the after my contracts exam which I aced by the way I was like crap I don't have any other I don't I haven't studied for these courses so I started reading houseburies and these kind of indexes and textbooks and whatever just to like do it really quickly and I realized that wow this is a really efficient way of study so from the point that I read that contract that last contract case until I got to the Supreme Court and read the first piece of case law that I had to read I don't think I read I don't think I touched a single case on West Law.
1: Wow so this is a very interesting mix of people because I'm certainly I mean Bronwyn is is much more academically diligent but I was I'm like in the middle between Bronwyn and Mike and Ali Um, and I think that what I observed, actually, Ali, is very similar to what you're saying and why I asked about the textbook is I just remember finding the textbook. We At, at U of T, we were not taught with the textbooks. We were not taught they existed, never mentioned. <laughs> and one day I was in the library and I found the tort law textbook and I was like, oh my God, why don't they tell you, like, this is how it works and then learn the cases? Why don't they teach you the architecture and then plug in the cases but, you know, depending on different law schools that people who are listening might be attending, there can be a different structure. But if you go to a case law based structure, certainly uh, the idea, you don't agree? You
0: no, know, I just realized it's, it's because I came from a textbooks law school where I read the portions of the cases signs, but not like every single word of every single case. Oh, uh-huh. gotcha. Hey. Okay, well, I'm glad yeah. you
1: clarified because I'm like, what? How did you ever yeah. leave your head with? Yeah. Wow, Ottawa. U. We have like
0: we had
3: like bound like books of cases like put together like without like excerpt like we had to go like you had to go to like the library and like buy a bound book of like cases for a class.
1: I remember we switched profs halfway through my first year of torts, and the fir- the second prof said at the beginning by way of intro, "Well, you guys know it, torts is about you know negligence, duty of care, standard of care, etc." She kind of laid it out, and the class was just silent. No one said anything because we didn't know that structure. We were just sort of wrangling around with the cases and talking about the issues, not really seeing the big picture. But Mike, tell me about how. So you did you get a textbook like when you started at Ottawa? Yeah, totally. We bought the text, and
0: don't get me wrong, like some classes we did have that big book of bound cases, uh, but most essential courses were taught from the text, like torts, crim, property, you know, we had the texts, we were assigned pages. The nice thing is we got the rationale as we read the cases and the excerpts of the cases. So we were guided through the law. Cases were used an example of how the law gets to a place, but it seems just like kind of random and inefficient not to link the cases to anything. So I guess I'm happy that we had that.
1: Well, at the exam time, just to fast forward, I had a roommate (laughs) shall remain nameless but if she's listening we'll have a good laugh um but she studied the way that ali um explained for torts because she had left it too long and had been focused on the other classes same sort of description um and i remember sitting in a coffee shop teaching her what i knew about torts the night before and thinking like there's no way she's going to fail she doesn't know anything about torts and she got an a on the exam because my life Yeah, she just didn't have, but there's some wisdom to it. Because when you get into practice, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to have your brain cluttered with everything, you need to be able to quickly and efficiently get to the answer. Um, So I don't know. I mean, it's a it's an interesting one to hear. Do you did other people at McGill study the way you studied, Ali? Or was it sort of a uh, were you obviously you ended up at the top of the class. So it worked.
2: Um I'm
3: I'm not sure. I mean I McGill by and large is um everyone I, I know a lot of people use summaries at McGill and you know, if you know people these summaries kinda of float around, um, which are very, very useful, especially in a crunch and save me a few times. Um, especially for cases for classes where there is no textbook. Um, like civil law cases civil law classes, you generally don't have like a book that's readable in English, um, or any resources in English for those. Um, so I know those go around, but I think by and large law students are a very type A diligent sort, um, which I'm not. So I feel like a lot of people focused a lot more than I did and took it a lot more seriously. Uh, to be honest, like I coming from pharmacy school, I never thought that I would get into law school. So just going in on the first day of McGill Law School, I was like, I'm just lucky to be here. So I never kind of took it as seriously as everyone
1: else. Well, it's really interesting to me as I'm hearing this, I'm just kind of rewinding backwards and realizing that, you know, what we're trying to do with this, with this series for law students is just to put a couple of different perspectives out from people who've already done it, who are not in the class with you or with the people who are listening. um, And to say, okay, well, this worked and this worked. Like I think Bronwyn, your strategy worked for you in first year. Ali, your strategy worked for you. Um, And I think there's also this other bit that needs to be said, which is, um, and Mike, obviously your strategy worked for you too. Sorry. Thank you. you. It worked very well. Um, (laughs) Mike was so wildly successful that here he is today, a co-host of the Lawyer Life podcast. (laughs) <laughs> and That's why
0: I work so hard. I was just, when I get through law school and become a lawyer, ultimately, I just hope I can host a podcast. <laughs> this,
1: this was unexpected.
3: Wait, that, that wasn't supposed to be the goal going into well, law school. I it's mean. pretty high up
1: there. I don't know that it was the goal, but man, it sure is fun. Um, anyway, but my point is just that I think there's something too about comfort level because I lived in a house of four law students um, in first year. And I would say on the spectrum, we had two international students who had come from um, China and uh, the Ukraine. They studied a lot because they were doing law school in their second language, which was really, really challenging. Um, And then I studied just slightly less than them. um, And my roommate studied very little. But the interesting thing about her was that she's very confident, and she's very confident in her ability to quickly learn things. It sounds Ali like you have that, that too. Um, and you know, she's a partner at a law firm still in a really high demanding uh, or high, I guess, trial sort of situation where that skill set is really, really useful. Um, we have more benefit. Like Mike and I in our practice, we do have the benefit of mixing the skill sets that we need. You know, we're not always um, up against the wire to do really deadline driven stuff. We have deadlines, we schedule our day, we work with corporate and, you know, creative clients that are trying to do projects, but we're not always under the gun, so to speak. Um, And so I think that there's room in law for a bunch of different strategies and, and something about the way you study in law school, maybe could give you a bit of intel on how you would be happy practicing, you know, like someone like what you've described, Ali, like I you could so. probably be pretty comfortable. I mean, if you clerk at the Supreme court, the, you know, the demands there are very high, you could probably be really comfortable going into a high stress situation, having just done two hours of prep. Whereas for me, and maybe Bronwyn too, um, I would be like, I need to do two days of prep. To be confident that I've got everything and I'm not going to be missing a piece of information. So I think it's it's interesting to hear these strategies and to think about what does it mean for a future career. Have you given that thought, Ali?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it goes to like it goes to the idea that I mean, from my own research, that lawyers are sort of insecure overachievers by and large, and that they generally have type A personalities. And I think attitude kind of Um, affects what you're going to do in practice and I think the ability to be able to say okay you know what I'm going to take a more risky choice it, it relates to the fact that, okay, maybe I'm not going to read all the cases. Maybe I'm going to take a more risky choice to studying and choose something, choose, choose to do something more innovative. So I think in that way, it kind of transfers over because I feel like a lot of law students, and I feel for a lot of law students, working at the big law firm is still the major focus of their career by and large because they take a conservative approach to their career just the same way they mm-hmm. take it to their studying. Where someone is willing to innovate and take that further step and say, Okay, I'm going to think outside the box about how to approach this problem, I think that's where you get the really innovative people that are willing to like challenge them all. Well, you've
1: just articulated why you're on with us at uh for the summer, <laughs> <laughs> which makes a good so. sense. Um, but I do think, too, the attitude the thing that you mentioned. this is a question back to Bronwyn, but I think relevant for for everyone to hear is, you know, do you, are you kind of doing all the reading and doing all the prep because you want to feel a certain way when you go into the exam as part of it?
2: That was part of it. But I also genuinely found it really interesting. It was always like, this is so cool. Like, I really like this. So Hmm. I, yes, I worked because I wanted to feel prepared in the exam but I was lucky enough for that to not feel like exhausting and and miserable because genuinely I was like, I like this. Like I'm happy to be sitting here doing this right now. So I definitely don't think I could have worked as hard as I did in first year because I am one of these type of people that Ali is talking about had I not really loved it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And looking back on... Myself in law school, I could have channeled my type A tendencies a little bit more. Like, I remember going into exams in first year, I would just spend so much time making sure that, you know, I knew the cases, the facts, the rationale, the decision, the names, and effectively had to memorize. And I had to have this perfectly laid out summary, put a lot of time into that sort of prep. Um, but I think where I maybe could have better spent my time is something that maybe Allie excelled in and that's actually just understanding how the case fits into the broader scheme of law that you're studying like a more broad view i think i could have benefited from kind of asking like why is the law this way what is the law trying to achieve how does this judgment fit into that Um, and that would have been probably a better use of time than understanding every nuance in every case or every fact from like case X or something. Uh, It's like seeing the forest from the trees. Um, I know it's corny. Sorry. It's just, I think that my expectation was I needed to go in to have myself at ease. I needed to feel like I was perfect and did everything I possibly could to be ready. But really just knowing what the law is is trying to achieve would have been sufficient, I think. So, you know, Ali, is that fair to say you're a person who obviously did quite well, and you seem to have taken that more uh, broad approach?
3: Yeah, I I mean, I I think it also comes down to the fact that you know the law is a society, and this goes really deep. And I'm sorry to do this on this podcast,
0: and this is the only podcast you could do this on, or one of them.
1: (laughs) We're super deep. We're so deep. Just go. It's fine.
3: I mean, the law is a societal (laughs) construct that we all subscribe to, right? And so, by virtue of it being that, you need to, it conforms to societal values of what we think is right and wrong. So basically, the law is common sense. So if you're approaching a contract question or a tort question, and you end up with a result that's not congruous with what you think it should be, then maybe you're doing something wrong. So in that sense, what I like to do when I was writing law exams is kind of say, okay, person A hurts person B negligently, Clearly, person A is negligent and should be liable. Now, here are the cases that help me support this. Not necessarily case A says this, case B says this, case C says this, and therefore the person should be, the person should be liable or coming to a result. The law needs to make sense. The law needs to be coherent, and the law needs to kind of subscribe to these social values that we all have and kind of the social contract that we subscribe to. And by virtue of that, you know what the result is going to be for any given social, for any given torts, contract, every basic case, you should know the result going in. The cases are just there to kind of help you get to that result once you know it.
1: Right. That's you very well articulated what it is to mix up the forest for the trees. Um. And I think sort of to Mike's point about going in with comfort and being a false sense of comfort, that is such an important point because Knowing everything is good, but it won't necessarily get you the A on the exam. What gets you the A on the exam is understanding how to answer the question on the exam. So that's one thing that I was going to say as my tip is um, the classes that I did the best in were the ones that I did practice exams because um, and some of them I would take them to the prof and actually ask them to review the exam and say, like, how did I do here? What's the issue with my response? Um, And that was so helpful because effectively what the exam asks you to do is lay out the framework and apply it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if you can figure out the framework and spend your time doing what you just described, um, which is effectively saying, okay, what's the result? How am I going to get there? That's a very lawyerly skill that's useful to build and I think will serve you better in your career going forward than having read all the cases, which the the thing that people don't really talk about is, yeah, there are leading cases, but we live in a common law system, most people listen to this podcast, um, where the case law will change over time, right? Like it will grow, it will develop. So what the cases I learned in law school 20 years ago, some of them are still the leading case, but not all. Um, it's good to know the leading cases, but Pretty much whenever I get into a really case law specific issue now, I go and look at what's happened. So, you know, it's more about what is the architecture of the the area of law that you're in? How do you learn it? What's the best way for your learning style to get in there? And then, and then how do I also like navigate the stress? So how did you guys manage the stress in first year?
2: I played sports. So I was rowing and I was also playing soccer. So For me exercise is really helpful one because of the health benefits but two just because it got me out of the library and my other tip would be this is connected to law but join some kind of law society or go to a law event that isn't just lectures you can kind of see like some bigger picture things like why am i studying this like oh like look at these cool career panels and look at all these cool people who have come to speak about this and it can kind of allow you to see why you're doing things and give you kind of some ideas for the future and some inspiration in the meantime so those would be my two tips good tips ali
3: i think bronwyn touches on an important point that if you keep yourself busy um and distracted then you don't really stress but i mean the advice that i would give to new lawyers is try to remember why you're there and what you're doing there And I think that really helps put things into perspective as opposed to just stressing out about how a single exam is going to
0: go. Mike, what was your stress relief tip? I mean, my tip now is to learn from my mistakes. It wasn't really I was learning as I was going in law school, for sure, because. I overworked, I think, as we've covered, like, in the law school sense and preparing for exams. so we've, we've talked about that. But I also overworked literally. Uh, I was reporting for MCV News, um, political stuff during all the first year, you know, first year exams in between. I went home and recorded at a, an election special as that was going on. Uh, and then I was offered two jobs in the summer and I took them both with their consent. So I was working 14 hour days, some MCV News stuff. Two jobs, I took them into the second year as I was studying in second year. And eventually I just was exhausted and run down. So busyness actually was a problem for me. uh, And I kind of invited stress into my life uh, as I was running around with my head cut off. So I would say, you know, there will be opportunities. You need to learn to say no and prioritize. And that's something that's important even when you're practicing to, to, to keep in mind. Um and focus on yourself and keep stressful situations at bay so you can be yourself, your best self uh, at law school, I would say.
1: I think it's a it's a pressure cooker and so much of it is just like being true to again why you're there and um trying to do things do the things that you've done that have made you successful so far, right?
3: Yeah, one thing to mine. Yeah, go. The people that sit at the front of the class and like that talk the most and that you've seen the most most like that seem the most intelligent usually aren't and are just like saying those things and it seems really intimidating and it seems like you're falling behind but in reality those people don't always do the best is probably the best advice i could give
2: and also don't let looking at what other people is doing stress you out either that was something I realized after about a month, which is that I talked to the two people who had done the best in my college and they gave me extremely conflicting advice. I remember thinking, oh no, like, which one am I going to pick? And then I had this realization of like, but they both did well. And that's the thing. You can look around you and see people working completely different to you who are going to do just as well as you. Or, and I think, don't look at people and think, I'm not doing that. I must be doing it wrong. Because the reality is, as the podcast has shown, there's so many different ways of doing it, and none of them is necessarily the wrong way to do it. Exactly. And
1: when I look back, just this conversation is bringing up a lot of memories, but you know, when I look at the people who were what I would call the kind of hard driving, um, very confident, very smart, doing well, interviewing in New York, like some of them did end up in New York at big firms. Um A lot of them, actually, and some of them are still there, and some of them aren't, but you know that isn't the career for me that's not what I want to do so if I'm comparing against people who are sort of getting what is defined by common you know discussion at law school as like the best job, it's not the best job if it's not designed for how you are built or if that's an environment that you would be miserable in, so I think a little bit of perspective on that stuff is good too and just taking the time while you're there to figure out, you know, you've got three years, what is it that you want to do? And recognizing that you don't have to have all the answers, because you can be iterative, and you can grow and and go on different paths. And as you get older, as Mike and I talk about on this podcast quite a bit. Um, but I think I think there's a myth at law school that you know there are answers, and some of the law students have them, and some don't. Like that's just not true. I think there's a really individualized path that each of us can kind of find in law school, and the key is to kind of keep yourself sane and and take advantage of some of the things we're going to talk in the next episode about um, some of the resources that are now available for people who are going through stress and having trouble dealing with the way that law school is and. Um, I'm really excited about that because that did not exist and was not even discussed when I went through uh, at all. So that's going to be a really interesting bit, I think.
0: Great summary, Darlene.
1: Wow. That's your job, the summary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm I'm learning from you. We we cross-mentor each other on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at summaries, I think.
0: And all of our listeners are going to get better at their totally. school summaries too. Okay. With that... Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we get back, we're going to do our goods and gripes. The Lawyer Life podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com That's interalia lawcom And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. We have two great guests today, so why don't we listen to their goods and gripes? Bronwyn, Ali, do you have anything good that you want to share?
2: Um, Mine is actually just a piece of technology I found useful in law school, coming back to our theme. And that was flashcard apps that are online. I never thought I would use those because I was like, well, I could just make real flashcards. So why would I make online flashcards? But they're actually super useful because you can just have them on your phone. When you don't feel like doing the kind of studying that's super intensive, you just kind of flick through them. I recommend Quizlet or Anki. So there you go. That's my good. Flashcard apps. Who would have thought? Quizlet? Quizlet and Anki.
1: Okay, we'll have to, you'll give the, maybe the links and Mike can put them in our show notes for people. That'd be really helpful. Yeah, for
3: sure. I'm going to say Whole Foods Cafe. (laughs) Because they have, like, awesome, they have, like, I was there yesterday, because now I get, because I'm working for Andralia, I get to work from home, and I get to, like, walk around in sweatpants all day, and I walk in, and they don't mind me being there in my sweatpants. (laughs) <laughs> and they have, like, awesome coffee and really – man, I should be getting paid for this. Um, They have, like, awesome coffee and great pastries. So go to Whole Foods Cafe. And Whole Foods,
0: if you're listening,
3: I am willing to be a spa- willing to be an ambassador.
0: <laughs> Did you ask them expressly about the sweatpants or just assume they're okay like, with them? You can tell. Starbucks, oh, okay.
3: Starbucks is not <laughs> okay cool
1: with that. I don't know. Mike, do you wear sweatpants? I, I'm i not a big sweatpant wearer, but uh...
0: – Anyway. Well, as you know, there's a bit of a debate among certain interalia lawyers about sweatpants. And one specifically says that among the most difficult decisions he makes in a day is when to change out of sweatpants and into <laughs> shorts. So
1: <laughs> I think he really means that. So uh, it, it is a yeah. recurring conversation. That's that's funny. Um, mm-hmm. I have a bit of a gripe to put it out there. I barely ever have gripes. But um, I one gripe I have is I don't use social media for personal stuff very often. Um, And what I've realized lately is that you it's a goody gripe because in some cases, it's good. But it's very funny when people can post like, um, things from your past on social media and tag you. And if you don't go into your social media often, it's just like there. I had a cousin post for my birthday recently um, like a family photo from the early 80s on uh, on Facebook and I had a, a text from another family member saying hey you should check your Facebook <laughs> and I was really glad that that happened but anyway I learned you can you can deal with this through settings but it was a goody grapey because it was a positive thing it allowed me to interact with my um, with some family members and uh, I also realized I should probably update some of my settings. <laughs> but anyway, that was, that's a goody gripey. Mike, how about you? You're on vacation. So hopefully you have no gripes.
0: Yeah, no, no gripes. But this good is going to sound a little bit of like a version of someone more boring or perhaps more aged in their years. But I'm really high on fresh Ontario produce right now. Can you, have you had a peach lately? Oh my God. <laughs> have you had some corn? It's starting to be in season. These are the things that I'm trying to appreciate more in life. And goodness gracious, what delicious food we make in this province during our limited summer. So, yes, very happy with the produce. That is my You're
1: totally on vacation. I love this. I think that's a great go. Totally
0: on vacation. Yeah, so that's it. I think this was a great chat. Allie and Bronwyn, we appreciate your time. I'm sure many people are going to benefit from the tips you've given. We're really appreciative.
3: Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you.
1: It's been great. You're both going on to do very, very great things. I'm, I'm really excited for yes. both of you.
0: Thanks.
1: I guess we'll talk soon, Mike.
0: Okay, cool. Talk soon, Darlene. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.